So we are here today with an amazing woman, Holly Fraser, who is Editor-in-Chief at We Present. Hi, Holly. Hi, Russell. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too, Rob. You too. And thank you so much. So we're actually partnering with We Present today to highlight the work of an amazing artist from Los Angeles called Alex Prager, who is an old friend of mine and someone that I think is doing something really unique and incredible with photography. How did it come about that We Present wanted to work with her? So we present um, for and for people that don't realize is we transfers digital arts and editorial platform and we work with artists from all over the world to create projects and collaborations and tell stories about creativity. Alex has been someone that had been on our bucket list for years. I mean, it's probably a lot of people will say that. And we actually talked last year about a project that for a number of reasons didn't didn't come off. And then Lisa, who is Alex's studio director, got back in touch with our art and photography editor, Suzanne, told us about the mountain that was sort of coming up and said, you know, would you guys be interested in collaboration on a film? And to say we jumped at the chance (laughs) would be an understatement. Mm. And we've been working with the team for a few months now to bring this together. Uh, And it's been a real pleasure. And, you know, Alex's work, as as you say, is, is fantastic. It's so cinematic. It's so unsettling in a way. And, um, you know, it was a real pleasure to work with her and hopefully we'll, uh, we'll continue to do so. Mm. How do people view Alex's film? So the film will be available on WePresent from February the 3rd. And if you just go to WePresent.com, you'll find it there as one of the top pieces. Uh, And it's a sort of continuation of some of the themes that have been explored in the mountain and a closer look at some of the different characters that Alex captures in the show. But you can also see it as a link. If you're going to WeTransfer and you're uploading files, WePresent is something that comes up on the holding screen and you link from there and then you can go and discover all of these various things. You've worked with so many people recently and continue to yeah exactly so we transfer for people that don't know has always been quite deeply embedded in the creative community uh, and the backgrounds on we transfer we call them wallpapers uh, at work uh, showcase the work that we do and we present as well as other artists and causes that we believe in uh, with the idea being exactly as you say when you go on and upload your work you know sometimes it takes ages you might want to read uh, an article about something interesting interesting that's happening in the art world or discover a new project and that is another way that you can uh, catch the mountain um, but we, it's we recently discovered about we present through marina abramovich yes and you guys um helped her realize an amazing in-person kind of installation that you would walk through in east london and you've also recently worked with fka twigs who's one of my um heroes i'm listening to her new record like daily and um bernadine everisto the the writer and many different people riz ahmed riz ahmed who we love as well big um, fan of riz yeah so it must be so much fun as a business to be able to support these kind of visionary creatives. Completely. And I think, you know, honestly, it's not something that enough um, brands do, uh, especially now, you know, the arts needs all the help that it can really Definitely. get. And yeah, exactly. As you say, we, we're we a team of eight on We Present, uh, all coming from the worlds of art and journalism and sort of curation ourselves. And we work with artists on a number of projects, whether it's films, like we did with Riz Ahmed and Anil Korea on The Long Goodbye, which, humble brag, has just qualified for the Oscars. Which <laughs> Congratulations, Riz. I know, we're we're, we're keeping our fingers crossed for Risen and Neil. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's really about working with artists that we find exciting, that have something to say, and that can really be involved in sort of pushing the cultural needle 
important conversations forward because, you know, as as we all know, I don't think that really happens enough these days. Uh, and we're really, I think, privileged at where we transfer and represent to have a company that believes in creativity and actually, you know, talks the talk as well, which I think doesn't always happen um, in cases and, you know, places even I've worked before that hasn't always been the case. Mm. So for us, we do, you know, maybe it sounds like a bit of a lofty sentence, but we, we really do believe that creativity can change the world. And mm. if we can be involved in that, even in a small way, uh, it's something we want to do. Well, so do we. And we are now going to present you with an amazing over an hour conversation with Alex Prager. Thank you so much, we present. Thank you, Holly. And um, thank you, Layman Morpin. Thank you very much. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamond. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you, Rob? Today, Russell, I am feeling like an emotional individual. Yep. Which is obviously me, because I am to a so emotional. But today's guest's work... Um, the kind of very core of it for me has always been about emotions and I've always found them to be very astute distillations in a way of human psychology and kind of the way that we're all so different and one of the things I've always loved about this guest's work I first met her actually back in 2014 in New York and then we properly got to know each other in 2015 in Hong Kong and we started emailing each other and then I've even been to like see shows in London at the Photographer's Gallery and like all over the world Um, LA as well because I've been a big fan of her photography ever since I first encountered it in 2014 but also her films and there was an extraordinary film I saw later maybe 2016-17 in New York which was just extraordinary which was made in Paris and we can talk about that later as well Mm -hmm. but I've always loved the inclusivity of different body types of different skin colours of like all different kinds of poses and very subtle shifts in facial expressions which normally you might miss or forget kind of like almost mundane moments but actually really extraordinary enlightening and touching kind of moments that it's so wonderful to have in her photography for all of us to kind of consider and then reflect back on yourself Mm. and your own position in society and we are now in central London we're in the fanciest of neighbourhoods we're in South Kensington really close to where I used to spend a lot of time in my childhood at the Natural Natural History History Museum Museum, because my mum used to work there you're a dinosaur um, and the science museum which was a big deal for me so we're at Cromwell Place today um, at Lehman Morpin and we're here with We Present who are partnering with Lehman Morpin to present this incredible new body of work which we'll be talking about so we would like to welcome to Talk Art all the way from Los Angeles Alex, Alex Prager. Prager oh you guys are too sweet <laughs> thank you for the warm welcome you're, you're so welcome. welcome how long have you been in London uh, probably about four days, five, five days. Whenever I came in, like the night before my show opened, and it opened last night, didn't it? It no, it opened on. I don't even know what day it is. <laughs> That's actually a theme in this new body of work. Time yes. is yeah, yeah. disorientating. Um, Where are yeah. we in? Yes. What's going on right now? Yeah, honestly, I have no idea. Like barely know what month it is, what year it is. How <laughs> was how was the opening? Was it a success? It was. Yeah, it was. It felt like a smashing success. I I felt the energy in the room. Um, but you know, it's been a while since since I've been in a room with that many people that you know that that were in such a small space, and it, it felt so good to to yeah. to be around everyone again and yeah. feel that energy and breathe on. I mean, 
breathe on each other. Cough on each other. And <laughs> yeah, 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 nice. Feel the body warmth and yeah. Um, yeah, and just like the inflections of the, and the physical nature of just being together. It was really nice. And actually, this new body of work is a real departure for you because the work I've always associated you with since we first met was always like groups of people and, you know, maybe like 20, 30 people or at least 10 people in, in each photograph. Mm-hmm. And often you would have all these different moments and different expressions and and you might be thinking you're looking at just like one person within a crowd but then you start to realize that actually is the crowd a whole or or you know which person there's so many different people making up that crowd so each person looking at the photo might pick a different individual as well there's Mm. there's kind of like a really complex way of looking at them but this time around they're individuals on their own how did that happen was that actually a direct response to covid I, I like to say more that it was a direct response to my emotional and psychological reaction right. to the pandemic. Yeah. Because um, we were alone and we were isolated and our communication not only physically was severed, but also um, our communication just politically felt very severed. um, There was just so much dissonance between people. And I think people kind of chose a camp, chose a side. Suddenly there was sides to choose between. And I think it's something that happens, um, at least my own trying to understand or grappling with it was... um, was it's it was just a survival instinct we became our circles became smaller and we had we were fighting to live and um we had to think about our own survival and our immediate family and then that was about all we were allowed to do and um and so the idea of making crowd images just felt so tone deaf it didn't interest me in the least um, I mean, I, logistically as well, in that current climate, would have been a nightmare to bring that many people together because of social distancing. No, and no, no, no. It's I could have done it easily because right. um, actually the film industry was one of the first industries to begin working um, pretty normally again. Mm. Yes, there's been a lot of shutdowns and it's been very frustrating, um, but people started working again pretty much like three months um, into 2020. They were already. I think, I mean, it was like, maybe it wasn't that soon, but they were already back into production. So they did figure out a way yeah. to, to make, um, to, pro, to put protocols in place and make everyone feel safe. And so that was something um, that was already happening in Los Angeles. But, um, but no, just, um, you know, what was going on in the world was so drastically different from everything we'd experienced before that the idea of making something that I would have made before that dramatic shift, um, just didn't. I mean, I never would have done it. It, I, ne- I needed to, to put. I mean, my work has always been about what's challenging me and what's um, what doesn't make sense. I have these questions that I need answered, and I'm not saying the work ever answers it, but by reflecting how I'm feeling um, and my state of confusion and unrest and frustrations and just this so many emotions just um, blending around in the blender of my stomach, in the pit of my stomach, <laughs> confusing me and um, making me feel so many different ways all at once uh, and manic and everything. Um, this whole spectrum just went into this, these portraits. And the reason I went back to portraits, because I hadn't, 
made a portrait, you know, since the beginning of my career. And um, I think it was the first show I had in London was portraits. And, um, and the reason I went back, I started looking at August Sanders' um, Citizens of the 20th Century, which is an epic body of work that I've loved since the beginning um, of this my This is another photographer. Yes, this is another, yes, um, legend and, um, and Irving Penn's Small Trades. <clears throat> and these are pictures of people that are just wearing their um, whatever costume they wear to go to work and do their trade. And, and they represent all different types of people. And it really, um, it really put everyone on the same plane to, to be able to look at each other and see each other. And the classic portrait does that. It allows you to look and just see. And, by, and just by the very act of seeing each other, we're able to bring the understanding up a little bit for each other and maybe have a greater understanding for ourselves. So it's a very powerful thing, the portrait. And I wanted to use that, um, that lineage of making portraits and seeing each other and, and trying to understand each other through that. Um, I, I wanted to bring that to the mountain. And yeah, they're not classical in any sense, but... And the, the mountain is the title of this body of work and this, this new show here in London. The thing that I'm really gravitating towards and the reason I really wanted to talk to you about this work is because in this time of division, which you've talked about, which isn't just political, but obviously it's driven by a lot of politics globally, of course, uh, it seems like people are sort of getting against each other and trying to fight a lot. And even if you think about Instagram culture and trolls or Twitter and all that kind of thing, there's been a lot of negativity in the world. But at the same time, we all are kind of the same at, at the end of the day. Yes. And I love this work because it's trying to say, you know, we are all like each other. Oh, I'm so glad you got that from it. No, totally. So and and it, it's also like you have... It, you are able to exist in the world as an individual with your beliefs, but also respect other people's beliefs and get on. And I think we need to work harder every day to make sure that we can all get on with each other and understand each other. And for me, art often provides that as a way of like bringing people together. And I think this body of work is is, is a really important like singular moment to talk about that kind of um, you know idea. Can you speak a bit about togetherness and um, this idea that we are all the same? Yeah, that's, I'm so glad you got that from the work because it's it's so frustrating to see people choose these sides and become so angry at the other side. And it's so stupid because we're so much more complex than that as humans. Like, it's totally okay for me to like one thing with everything in me, with all of my emotion and be so passionate about it. This happens all the time with me. It's totally okay for me to like that one day and then for me to have conversations at midnight over wine or whatever with, with a new friend and then the very next morning wake up and feel the complete opposite way. And that's fine because I'm human and I learn and I evolve and I change and that's totally okay and that's what we do. And so to, to pretend that we're just one or the other is so fucking stupid to me and it's been so frustrating to watch that happen and especially in America I don't know how it's been here but especially in America it's been so frustrating and um and of course we've all become very nattery and critical and and um and it's just not natural it's and and so to make these portraits was an act of 
love for people. And my, my work has always been about that. That's what the crowd images, that, that's the core of what I was always doing is I have this deep love for people and, with all their eccentricities and all their quirks and everything that makes people. It's all in the details. And the more detailed I work, the more universal they become because it's it's in the details that we find love for one another because we may not have the same political views i'm sure we probably maybe do but we <laughs> but we may not and it and but i can still find something to love about you i can still look for there's always something to admire about about someone else and people i think um social media flattens everyone out into these blacks and whites and makes everyone feel so um just Binary. Binary, yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's so it's so artificial. And it's actually the commonalities between us all that can bring people together and can bring about change. And it's I think so much of this current era of divisive kind of politics and stuff is like people don't listen to each other anymore. They just literally shout at each other and then walk off in a huff, like all angry. Yeah. And they don't actually then listen to why the other person feels that way in yes. a calm in a calm way. And I think you're current works the way that the, the the bodies are floating in space a lot of the time they're kind of like suspended in a moment that would normally not exist because well it would exist but you wouldn't be able to stop it like that because if they're falling in the sky or something you know you just see them falling you wouldn't see them in the sky but I, I I love the way that they're kind of distilled in this like almost like an amber or something they're I don't know in in their moment of either joy ecstasy or agony. or, or agony mm. yeah and you're not quite sure what's going on and I, I i love that you've chosen to present the the bodies in that very particular way how did that come about well I, that that was um me trying to capture a suspended moment that just seemed to encapsulate all of my emotions in this moment of not knowing if we were moving forward or or staying in the same place or almost moving backwards. I mean, a lot of it has been feeling like we're moving backwards. And um, and I really wanted to just capture this psychological state of, of just this inner turmoil that I was feeling. Because I was feeling very, very emotional, as I'm sure a lot of people were feeling. And, and, um, and I wanted it to feel convulsive, um, like bursting out of the physical form in a way um, in, a, in a state of uncontrolled motion. Um, again, time has been a theme in the work. I don't know if you noticed the titles of the works, but it's, it's like high noon, dawn, afternoon, um, twilight. <clears throat> and I wanted to use time and, and just this static, um, physical, convulsive pose because... Um, time has just become become such an abstract concept over the last two years as well like there's been so many times where I'm I don't even know what month it is and and it doesn't even matter in the end like what the it doesn't even matter yeah. like what does it matter when we're all just getting older but nothing's really happening nothing's really changing no I like I like the metaphor for the title as well the mountain like we're all climbing a mountain what, what is the other side of the mountain when we get to the top? Is it actually the top of the mountain? That that metaphor plays heavy. And I also like the fact you've described it as a contemporary cry, this show, which I think is really powerful. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, the mountain was symbolic of, I mean, it means a lot of different things to a lot of people, which is why I chose it, because it is such a powerful 
um, image, and it's been used in storytelling for centuries and Greek mythology to um, represent a place where an individual goes to be alone, um, to have perspective on from a much higher place and have kind of a spiritual death and rebirth in a way. And um, I felt like that that was what I was doing in a lot of ways. Like I, I kind of, the old me is gone and I don't know how we can ever go back to the way we were. And it was, it's just like trying to go back t- to the crowds was never going to be an option. So it was, I had to look at how do I feel right now and how, how am I going to move forward with this new, the, all these new feelings and new frustrations and mm. everything changed. I felt different. And um, in a lot of ways, there, a lot of good things came out of it too. Like I, I started a vegetable garden with my husband and, and we have chickens now oh, at our wow. house in Silver Lake. <laughs> and, um, you know, we're actually selling our house as of like this week it went on, it, we listed it because we're, um, we decided to buy a farm in Malibu and get more animals. And no I started sewing again. I started doing more ceramics. Um, I just kind of went in back to basics and back to like the simpler way of living because I think in a way a lot of this mess we got into was probably because the world has become so based on technology and and we're not really connecting like you said like even though you know there's a whole other conversation in that but Mm -hmm. but to get back to like simpler ways of living um are so much more fulfilling in a lot of ways and so I think it's really important isn't it to like check in with yourself as well and the internet and stuff like that that can mean that you separate from you it kind of like distances you from your actual emotions or something yeah so how's this gonna uh affect the work thing so this show has come out of this kind of feeling lost and scared at the world and you've you've reduced it to a singular figure which you said you started with and as you got more successful with that more figures appeared in your practice do you feel like you're going to go back to crowds now or, or is this are we seeing a change in in your practice now and going back to the individual well it's funny because um this sounds really bad but it's actually really funny and it was said in an endearing way to me but a friend of mine once said on my tombstone, it should say an embarrassment of big ideas because, <laughs> because ever since I started, I, I, I get, um, I just need a constant challenge. Yeah. It's just the nature of who I am. And, and I, I don't want to say I get bored easily, but I do like once I make something, I can't make it again. Um, I need to keep moving and, and like, um, anyway, so, so to go back to portraiture was really um, was really interesting because I have like ever since I started I've been adding more and more people to my crew yeah. and bigger and bigger crowds and and before the pandemic I thought the next step was going to be something much bigger and way crazier than I'd ever done before because I just I almost need to be terrorized <laughs> when I'm when I'm approaching a new project. Because in a way, the terror makes me comfortable. Because I know that if I'm ter- if I'm if I'm full of terror and fear going into a project, then that's exactly the right kind of project that I should be working on. If it's, if like it's it the scariest you, thing ever, the yeah. Well, yeah, but it also tells me that I'm doing the right thing. I'm going in the right direction, and I'm and that 
that's what I need to make. I don't know. It's hard to explain, but it's, it's definitely, that's what's um, allowed me to grow into such um, big, ambitious projects because whatever scares me the most. I don't want to ever feel comfortable as an artist. I feel like if I'm comfortable, um, then there's something wrong. Right. And I haven't, I haven't pushed myself far enough. Mm. So I'm always going into a new project full of terror. And one of my films was all about that La Grande Sortie um, yes, that I did with the Paris Opera Paris. Ballet. Yeah. yeah. It was with Paris Bastille, wasn't it? Like mm-hmm. the, yeah. Yeah. I, I worked, love that film. I, yeah, that was a really special film. And I, I actually got to work with the Paris Opera, and um, and it was a it was a way of showing what I felt um, when I like my stage fright that came with the terror of entering a new project and everything. Anyway, to, that's all to say that doing this project logically, like analytically, didn't make sense to me. Like, why would I have gone that far mm. into such big ambitious? projects only to feel like I'm going back to the first pictures I ever made mm. in a way. Um, and, and, um, and I just couldn't get it out of my head. It was, it just kept, it just kept, um, floating to the surface and, and I'd push it away like, no, 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 that's too simple. I need to do something bigger and I need to make a bigger statement about now and everything. And, and, um, but yeah, it's funny how that works. You just when you know, you know, and this is this is exactly the thing that I needed to make for myself too. And there is something quite calm about these new works, like a kind of a peacefulness at the same time as having this very high energy kind of moment of anguish or joy. Yeah. <laughs> like you're never quite sure which it is. But there's also signs um, through all the clothing in in all of your work. Well, um, there's love the in beginning. the work. Yes, that's, that's what it is. There's okay. love and well, in the beauty. clothing. The clothing is love. Food. Well, there's love in the in in the pictures because I love people, and I've been so upset by what's happened with people yeah. that people haven't been talking and people haven't been communicating because through communication, you you get understanding for each other, and so that severing of communication has been so upsetting to me to watch it happen with family members and really good friends. And just because of a difference in a point of view, maybe in one subject, and then they just stop talking. And this has happened in such extreme ways. And, and I really, I mean, I, I wanted to get everything out in this work, but also, I mean, the main reason I made it was to try and find that love again for each other by, by making pictures about people mm. In the most simple stripping way um, I could approach it, I wanted to put, you know, like there's there's all these little things in there, the, all the little details that that I love about people and and that make people so unique, like the um, like the prescription drugs. I don't know if you saw the Prozac yes. flying out of... Like, I have questions about that. Um, it's almost like the opening of a bag, isn't it? And then yeah. inside someone's bag, and you're like, you find all their, all their kind of eccentricity. Their, their personality. Their personality. Their personality, their, their story, what they're going through. Um, yeah, there's just like... 
I don't know if you noticed there, there's a um, Screen Actors Guild pin. I that, saw that, yes. that she's, Oh, I love that you yeah, saw on, that. On the dress. I'm a yes. SAG member. <laughs> he spotted it straight away, it. as well as the dress. He loves it. Yeah, I love yeah. the dress. And the, so- <laughs> and the socks on on. Well, that's Dawn. what I mean. She, she's not fully nude. The cherub that's yes. flying through the air. She still has these little white ankle socks on. So there's always an element of clothing, which is, seems really important to your work. It is, yeah. It is because every piece of, every article of clothing, every little accessory, every detail, every tiny little thing, every mole, every freckle, like everything tells a story about that person, every scar. So I add, I do add these things that I've found in the world. Like if if I'm, you know, on a subway and I'm sitting across from a man with a very large nose and a very old wearing a very old suit then maybe maybe the very large nose won't end up on a man in my pictures maybe it'll end up on a woman and I'll put a prosthetic nose on a woman because there's something it like I'll remember these details about people that I see when I'm out and um, I just actually I just saw the Noguchi show mm. at the Barbican yes at the yeah. Barbican yesterday mm. And I loved listening to him speak in the documentary. I don't know if you guys saw that show yet. No, I haven't yet. I've heard it's extraordinary uh, on an installation level as well. I've just he's heard just, it's like unbelievable. I mean, honestly, the work is so beautiful, but listening to him talk was my favorite part about the exhibition. There's this documentary that they show at the end. I don't even think it's available for streaming or anything, mm-hmm. but um, he's just so passionate about people and life and um, to the point where he's talking about rocks and he's just like, you never saw so much love for a rock as with <laughs> him. And, and it made me realize what I love so much about artists and why I've always thought artists, um, like a lot of, you know, a lot of friends of mine are artists and, um, and I always thought it was so interesting. You can never really pin an age on, on a, on an artist. Um, like they're very hard to kind of, to figure out what their age is. So they're kind of timeless in a way. And it was watch, it was watching Noguchi talk about um, people and life and what he loves so much about just observing things mm. that I realized the reason you can't pin age on an artist is because they're so interested rather than trying to be interesting. Mm. I mean, I guess a lot of artists are trying to be interesting, whatever. But I'm talking <laughs> about like true artists. They're so interested in the world around them that that time doesn't exist for them because they're just they're constantly looking outwards, mm. observing. And I don't know, it was just so inspiring listening to him talk about about life and people and he, like he he was actually he was also talking about time as a theme too like he never really he never felt in present time he felt always like he was drifting from the past into the future mm. and the time was this concept for him that it, it doesn't um it's a, it does he's not constrained to time mm. i really love this idea that you're sat on the subway you know spotting people and i've always seen in your work the amount of work that must go into making the images even just on the the clothing level because you're kind of a collector in a sense of little like I don't know badges or um, uh, ties or you know handkerchiefs or that there's so many tiny little details that make up these images and they are all constructed a bit like if you had a film set or something like that like 
I know a lot of the time the early work was um, film noir used to get mentioned and there's definitely an atmosphere that you create through lighting as well. But can you talk about that kind of um, journey to making an image? Because your work is so thought out, so planned, so controlled, which is a great thing, but it's like a very unusual practice in that sense because there's so much pre-planning. There is, yeah. It's funny you mentioned that I'm a collector because um, I was asked if I was if I collected anything um, from by, by my friend um, Michael Govan at LACMA, and he was just about to come over and do a studio visit, and I was like, no, no, I'm not really a collector. I'm a minimalist. Like, if you go to my house, there's nothing really there, and it's it's all very clean and kind of Japanese all the time, and and um, and then he walked in the door of my studio, and there's just stuff <laughs> everywhere that I've collected over the past like two, thirty years of my life. I've, I've, I've seen rails and rails of clothes. Oh my god, I've Literally, so like, much stuff, and I have storage rooms where yeah. I keep more stuff. And it's just like because I grew up in Los Angeles, and we have like the best estate sale, yard sale, thrift shop scene there. I mean, not as good now because everyone knows about it from social media, but. <laughs> In the 90s and like early 2000s, there was you could just find the best stuff, and I've just been collecting it forever, and I, I don't like to get rid of anything because I might use it in a shoot. And actually, I have used, in my crowd shoots is where I started being able to use everything all at once that I'd collected, so that was cool. Is there a sense of chance still? Because you do, you do control these crowds. You do have oh, yeah, this yeah. kind of, I think you've said you've wanted to find finding the unplanned moments in an intended world. Yes, and it's like you you're you're creating this intention, uh, this image, but there's there's a there's a chance there as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting thing because um, there's always this line that I'm that I like to kind of blur between reality and artifice, and I've always tried to articulate why I feel like that's important, yeah. and I've 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 talked about it a lot in my work, and it's and the reason for it has evolved. Um, but it's interesting. There was something I saw recently about imagination and how every fact started with imagination first. So, um, like for instance, we wouldn't be here right now unless one of you had the idea first, imagined it first. That was me. That we would have a conversation, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, thank you very much. <laughs> but I Ego. love, I love, I mean, that's just like, you know, it's a really simple way to look at it. But like this rug that we're standing on wouldn't be here if someone, if, if, if a designer first hadn't mm-hmm. imagined it. And so, so, so that then that brings you to the larger concept of like what is reality mm. and what's more important imagination and reality and this t- so this time that we're living am, am I ever going to answer your question I don't know. <laughs> I'll get to <laughs> yeah, it no, but no. this time that we're living in right now is so fucked up I don't know if I'm allowed to swear you but are it's away. so <laughs> fucked it's so fucked there's no other way to say it um, and the youth have really gotten the bad end of this situation. Um, really, really disappointing um, leaders because they're not telling stories anymore that inspire people. There's nothing te- there's nothing um, out there from our leaders telling us what we have to look forward to. And it's really important for young people um, of all ages to have something beautiful to look forward to. And we're basically be just being told this is going to go on forever. There's probably going to be worse pandemics and the world is going to shit because of climate change. And that might all be true, but... It's paralyzing. Imagination is what 
uh, brings us new realities. So tell us stories. Tell us myths. Tell us, I mean, you know, that gets into a, a touchier subject with whatever, other things we don't want to get into in yep. this conversation. But but what I mean is, like, um, it's okay to, to dream. dream and imagine a different future yeah. because – if we do and we all agree on that future, then we can create a new reality. Yeah, your works have this nostalgia about them for a safer time. There's yeah. joy in there. There's a lot of love in there. But, I mean, my, my interest is, so you're talking about imagination. Do you imagine these images in your mind? So, obviously, there's a lot of meticulous pre-production. Yes. I start with sketching it out pulling drawing yeah yeah drawing oh. especially with these i wanted to like get. a storyboard mm-hmm. like a movie storyboard yeah yeah you have a movie <laughs> movie brain right that's how you uh-huh. approach your practice i think so yeah, yeah definitely and and i'm always thinking in terms of stories so um but i'm also like psycho freak for control like control freak mm-hmm. <laughs> when it comes to cuz i have a very clear picture in my mind like if you look at any of my um, sketches that yeah. I do right when I have the idea before I even share it with my crew or anything and I'm just sharing it with my studio director, Lisa, um, she actually – I didn't realize she was keeping these sketches and she showed them to me um, like six months ago and we went through them and they're literally exactly – they're like the worst um, um, like stick, stick figures. Men, yeah. <laughs> Of exactly what the films ended up being. So, um, but not exactly because the details aren't there. And that's where the moments, the unplanned moments come in. And that's what makes these pictures feel alive to me. Because without, but that's also why I like to use family members. Like my sister's in a lot of my pictures. My mother's in a ton of them. My friends are, I always pull my friends. I pull people from um, social media and from the sidewalk. If I see someone at a diner that I like the way they look, I'll ask them to to be a part of my project. And then I'll pull actors and stuntmen. And and I like having that mashup of, um, of different types of people because these weird things happen on set yeah. that I never could have imagined. And it's the best dramatic setup for people because jealousy, like all these just weird, darker kind and what of... what with <laughs> actors being like, why are they at the front? <laughs> yes. I'm be in that, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you'll just see weird things happen where people people will start to move towards where they think I'm shooting and there's like this weird zombie effect that happens. With, wow. Or there's like strange dramas that occur, like people knew each other from previous projects or someone dated someone and... And there's so many weird things. So I like to plan everything. Um, actually, my friend told me um, this really good advice once to do all the planning and pre-production. And then on set, I can just be totally free to let these moments happen and oh, is- just focus on people. This because it's nothing without the people. Yeah. And it's nothing if, the pe- if, the pe- if people aren't comfortable starting to allow these moments to happen. Yeah. And so it's really just like me setting up this so you di- artificial so you direct, world. So you direct this world and then you're there with your handheld camera mm-hmm. and do you have music on? Because the images no, are no, no, it's no. a complete silence. And are yeah. you telling them to look in a certain way, communicate with each other? Are you directing them to kind of animate or are these people still? So they're always moving. Okay. They're always free. And usually I set it up so that it, 
they're, whatever they're doing, they're really doing it. So if they're drinking a Coke, there's Coke in there. If, um, but really, it's, it's about talking to them about their characters. I did this a lot with The Mountain as well. Mm. I had a lot of conversations with um, the subjects about who I wanted their character to be. I brought them references, uh, pictures, and, and little short films of types of people that um, I wanted them to connect with. We talked about what they've been going through the past two years emotionally and challenges they've had and questions they've had and kind of weaving their real stories in with their um, characters' stories so that we could kind of land upon a character that felt really real to them but was also slightly disconnected from them so that they could have fun with it. And, And so they didn't have to feel like, they had to be someone divulging too much or be someone completely too different. far from them. Yeah, and so it was someone that we kind of created together. And, and they um, improv or was there dialogue that you then settled on? I, I kind of like when it's a bit of both. Yeah, so yeah. in the film that I made for The Mountain, um, I scribbled down some questions that I thought would elicit emotional responses. Because um, I wasn't really looking for like anything... You know, I wasn't looking for like a tragedy on camera, but I wanted, I just wanted real moments because my whole intention with this body of work, like I said, was to connect people again, to show people how similar we can be or show people what, um, what makes up the best parts about us. It's this, it's the little things. It's nothing, it's no dramatic, it's nothing, it's not like dramatic childhood stories like we're told. I'm sure is that all right? Yeah. Someone's just it's walked not, through. And, it's not dramatic. It's fine. Dramatic childhood's bang. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mother? <laughs> Is that you? Yeah. I brought my sound designers. <laughs> no, but it's, um, you know, like that stuff is important, sure. Uh, but... But the things that connect us in present time is are all the little details that make us up, and and it's and it's funny, it's funny stuff, and and it's it's also tragic. Like I don't, I don't know if you saw, it's a two minute film, but um, just asking these really simple questions that I thought kind of got to the core of just being a person living on this planet right now. Um, I just love like I could sit in a room with people like that all day because. It's it's that Noguchi thing of just being interested in everything mm. because you, this, the moment you just get in a room with someone one-on-one and you really start to talk to them and you really listen to them, there's so much to love. Yeah, totally. Wow. And that's, that's Sorry, I just want to say one more thing about that because the photographer that started me into art, William Eggleston, yes. that's so much about his work that I didn't um, understand and had to understand was like they seemed really ordinary and mundane, but they elicited such an emotional reaction in me when I looked at them that it was that juxtaposition of those feelings with the ordinary that I didn't understand and wanted to know more about. And so, yeah, it's, it, it is like the, the basic things of life, the, the most simple things that that are the most important in a lot of ways. Yeah, and actually talking about Eggleston, I heard that was like a kind of really important moment for you that kind of changed your life in many ways when you saw the photograph of the shoes underneath a bed and that that one very kind of everyday simple image, which is something that we probably see every day when we take off our own shoes at home or whatever, sort of changed your life and almost the direction of your work as well. Can you speak a bit about 
what 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 you kind of did after realizing how important that image was to you yes so at the time in my life i was working in a cubicle job and just trudging through life and getting my paycheck and then spending all my money and in los angeles this is yeah in los yeah. angeles and running out of money and having to sell the clothes i just bought for to pay my rent and it was just like this this dumb early 20s cycle of of work to live and um, and then I had this moment um, in my cubicle one morning, one Monday morning, where I had kind of a breakdown, where I just suddenly saw everything so clearly around me. It was this moment of observing my space and my surroundings, and I realized that this was the rest of my life unless I did something to change it. And I always felt like there was more to life than what I was getting from it. And um, so at that moment, I started going to museum shows and galleries, and I started playing in a band and drawing all the time and met painters and talking to artists. And and so one of my excursions ended me up at the William Eggleston exhibit. And um, Was it the Getty? It it? was the Getty, yeah. And I had all these feelings come crashing down upon me. It was this struck blind by a vision sort of moment (laughs) where I just knew that there was some sort of mystical thing happening to me with this photograph and then all the other photographs in the show. And, um, and it was that, it was that, um, mysticism or mystery of my emotions mixed with what I was looking at was nothing important, but yet it was so important because it made me feel this way. And I, and I was so confusing and I wanted to do that to other people. I wanted to make other people feel that way. So within like four days of seeing that show, I bought a camera, I bought darkroom equipment off eBay.com and, <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I just threw myself into it. That's so brilliant. I love that idea of the power of art and the way that you can have those moments. Like it suddenly unlocks something within your own creative potential or just the way you see the world. It's like transformative, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the reason for living. Yeah. You know, like after all of this is done, what is there, what reason is there to go forward in the new world without art? Yeah. I, I also know your sister a bit, who's a painter. And I know that like, there must have been creativity within your family in a way. So was your childhood like uh, filled with making things or or wanting to be an artist? Was it ever something you thought about prior to the Eggleston moment? And uh, I know that you also travelled a lot as a kid. So you weren't always in one location. You were quite itinerant in a sense. So did that also impact um, your work, do you think? Well, yeah, my mom does ceramics and she's really in love with the the, um, traditional arts and crafts. And a lot of those arts and crafts, I think, are coming back recently. Totally, yeah. Thank God, because yeah, yeah. Um, I was talking to my friend Nigel. We went to the V&A um, yesterday, and these um, facades of these medieval buildings where mm. people used to live and shop and they had their shops and stuff, they have them at the V&A um, on display. And we were talking about how um, the craftsmen that knew how to make those detailed buildings, like so many details in the carvings and just the way they they used um, carpentry then 
they don't. No one knows how to do that shit anymore. Mm. It's yeah, like artisanal so kind of. Sad. Well, even if they did, they wouldn't have the energy to do it. They wouldn't yeah. be someone who's asking for that. Exactly. Yeah. Like they used to spend centuries making buildings, and mm. now if it's not done in two months, then we're like, "Excuse me, yeah. we're on a schedule." Yeah, and also <laughs> passing passing down that passing down that skill through the generations as well. A kind of that's like, what I mean. Yeah, like, like a historical kind of continuation. Exactly. That's what we've lost. Is we've actually lost it, and and it's happening in the film industry in a very um you know close way to me because I see it I see these family there's you know because a lot of filmmaking is generations just passing down their knowledge right. their craft and um and then with with all the tech the new technology in the last few decades um there's there's the sons of this special effects um legend the sons still have the knowledge, but there's nobody else that wants to learn it. Mm. So it's just going to be lost with them. Mm. Um, it's really sad, but so, I think it's. I think there's an interest in it again, and I think people are. It people realize. May, hopefully, they're realizing what they're losing. Maybe before mm. it's too late with a lot of. I think it. a lot of people have gone back to craft as mm-hmm. well when they've been at home. We've seen lots of people suddenly go back to ceramics, more drawing, basket weaving, flower arranging. Yeah. It feels like people are really going back to what it is we can do with our hands and be more tactile. Yeah, I think so too, and it's really inspiring. And um, hopefully, that'll be the the Curve sharp now. yeah the sharp left that we all take what together to make for. a better future for our kids so did moving around a lot as a kid like in different locations because i know you went to switzerland a bit and you went all over the place do you think that informed your interest of people and and sort of observing and the watching you know and like and analyzing whether you like someone's ear shape because i heard you like you like large ears as well i also like small yeah i like all types of ears i'm just joking because his nickname (laughs) is they are small but they stick out And and I've got a window behind me. Thank you very much. But do you think that experience of like traveling around when you were younger to different locations would have informed that interest in other people? Yeah, definitely. Yes. So when I was about 14, maybe even like 13, I started getting into a lot of trouble because I was a curious person Mm. from a very young age. And I wasn't really um, a rebel per se, but I was curious. So I so I would end up at places with people that were not your everyday, whatever. Um, and and because this was happening in Los Angeles, it could have could have been dangerous. Right. And I'll leave it at that. But basically, I met around the same time that I was starting to get into trouble and freaking my parents out. I met this girl who was also 14, whose mother or grandmother had a, um, or family had a, a shop in Switzerland, in Lucerne, Switzerland, a knife shop. And they needed tourists to, or sorry, sorry, sorry. Knife shop. A knife shop in <laughs> Switzerland. And they needed uh, English speaking people to speak to the tourists that would come over the summer. Oh, because the tourists would come to the country to buy knives yeah, to take them home. You know those pen oh, knives? Oh, yeah. You know the, the kind of red pen knives that you, yeah. you have like, like a, like Swiss a Army bottle knife. Yeah, Swiss we, Army. Sold, exactly. we sold Swiss Army knives. We yeah. sold kitchen knives. We sold... They wouldn't be able to do that now. You wouldn't be able to ship switch that Switchblades. <laughs> Imagine getting that on like the United the Airlines. Well, you know, it's funny up. you say that because on the way over here... Because I'd been, we, my husband and I got an airstream last year, like during the pandemic, and we were traveling all over. It's like a caravan, we'd call that a here, caravan. fancy caravan. Okay, yeah. it's so fun. But so we were traveling so much, and and I had my carry on, but I had 
a very large nine-inch kitchen knife. Oh my god! In my carry-on because of we because we have a kitchen in our airstream, so I had this really nice kitchen knife, um, <laughs> and I fucking brought it to the airport oh my god. in my carry-on luggage. A mistake. And so, mistake. so the thing beeped when it when it when my suitcase went through the the x-ray and I was like oh here we go like I've always got a bottle of water in there or something I'm rolling my eyes and they open up my and I look at the x-ray because you can see the x-ray image and I was like oh my god what the fuck and it's this knife about the size of my entire carry-on and they take out (laughs) the machete and what what did they do (laughs) they like pull you aside yeah they pulled me aside she showed me the image and I was like Oh my God! We've just been on this road trip with the Airstream. Oh, no. I tried to explain it, and yeah. she was like, "Well, I'm sorry. This looks like a really nice knife, but we're gonna have to take that oh, from you." Oh no! So, um, but yeah, she pulled out the knife, and it was huge. Oh my God! That's, that's actually crazy. Like, <laughs> <at the> <laughs> if I was behind you. I'd have been like, "What? It was you were letting to try get that on the plane?" <laughs> <laughs> no, I should have known better, but oh, it was a hectic. So you were selling week. knives in Italy with this other 14-year-old girl in that you met at a, yeah. a troubled time in your adolescence. Yes, and curious time in my adolescence. And um, yes, and we used to extend our we, – so we'd go, we'd go back every summer, but we would extend the trip like two or three months each time. And we always had a Euro pass for the Eurostar. Oh, and wow, so wow. we would just travel like on the weekends when we weren't working. We'd go to France. We'd go to Italy. Um, so I made all kinds of friends around Europe. And and I and I never went back. I never went to high school because I was just constantly traveling from um, Los Angeles to Switzerland. Flor- my parents ended up moving to Florida um, it, during my teens, so I got that whole look. Um, and I tra- I would try I would do road trips around the South, and so I, I have a deep affinity for the the South of America. And, oh, wow. Oh yeah, I just I got such good experiences with, and I asked my dad about this recently. Like, what were you guys thinking, letting a fourteen-year-old girl just do, sell knives, like, not go to <laughs> high school, and just travel to Europe by myself? Because it was just me and my friend. Because her grandmother set us up in this apartment in Lucerne. Well, first of all, Lucerne, Switzerland. I don't know if you've ever been, but it's very conservative. Mm-hmm. I don't mean politically. I just mean like people are just. Yeah conservative people and um it's it's so it's, switzerland is very safe it's very clean compared to los angeles i was in much better hands there and also this thing happened when i um when i became solely responsible for myself and there was nobody there to look out for me if i got into real trouble and i knew that i actually became very responsible for myself i i suddenly like all these like Feelings of angst and all this rebel in me that started evol- like uh, growing within me in, in Los Angeles. All of that just kind of disappeared because I had complete and total freedom to do whatever the fuck I wanted to do in Europe. And so really, I just wanted to meet people and I just wanted to travel and see the world. It, I didn't actually need to, like, I didn't, I didn't end up getting into, I like, sure, I went to parties and stuff, but... Yeah, I actually, I actually ended up being a very good, girl. responsible, mature yeah. individual. Yeah, yeah, and and it was a really cool experience because it it allowed me to just trust my instincts, and um, I think instincts are kind of like um, a muscle in a way. Like you have to, the more you use it, the louder it gets, and the more you can hear it and understand it. So I learned, I learned about my intuition and instincts. Um, 
during all those travels. And yes, I had my wallet stolen on a train and yes, like things happened, but um, it was cool. Like nothing, nothing crazy happened. And I really, I really like, I really found a lot of love for different types of people. I saw, I saw a different perspective on the world because Los Angeles can be such a bubble. Yeah. You know? And I think it sounds like your self-confidence grew as well because there's something really interesting about when you take photos as well. I heard that you know when you've taken the exact image and it's always that one. It's not like you go back after a shoot, look at a contact sheet and think, oh, out of these three, which one are we going to choose? It's like you know the exact shot. Is it shot. digital you work on as well so you can see the image as you take them? or are you? So out? Yeah, I've always used digital as a Polaroid almost. Okay. So I, I always shoot film, but I have a digital camera. And, you know, more recently I started using both um, more because the cameras are so good now. But I have, I have a really deep love for film still. How many will you take in each kind of – and how long will the setup take for the day? Well, you're right. I don't actually take that much. I, right. Like people always – if it's their first time working with me, they're always like, wow, you're a fast shooter. Um, it's fast though. I guess I don't even know, to be honest. It's like the same with time. I don't really pay attention. I don't really pay attention. Once you've set it up, you could be there for what, an hour, two hours? No, no, no. Like one image, I would make 10 minutes, 15 minutes. So the setup is the long, the logistics of that and the time. And all the months of planning as well. Yeah, yeah, all the planning really helps. Without the planning, I I couldn't do what I do. And then once you've got it, then the image actually to find, capture the image takes... take 10 minutes it can take 10 minutes I just love the decisiveness of it though it's so kind of deliberate and it's it's really interesting that things can almost go wrong or you have those alive moments during the actual taking of the photograph some like you were talking about earlier the energy of the humans with each other all that stuff with these stuntmen as well for this series because they're flying in the air I guess and didn't you use have a friend in heels on the trampoline at one point break an ankle (laughs) I did yeah like 10 years ago I did a shoot um but that one, I only got four pictures before she snapped her ankle. Oh, my God. But Did um, you use them pictures? So. Did they appear? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I got it in, like, com- in compulsion. At least my ankle got broke for something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, was, yeah. She's like, please well use worth it. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, ever since That's then, nice. that actually, it was really good that that happened, even though my friend got hurt, because she didn't get hurt that bad, first of all. And um, that was a lesson early on in my career about safety on set yeah. and making sure, like, above everything. Don't wear heels on trampolines. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. Yeah. I, learned, I learned my lesson from that story. Oh, God, so, I'm so glad I listened to this podcast. All of our listeners out there, <laughs> all take your stiletto off when you climb on the trampoline <laughs> oh my God. that's funny um why photography for you because we've, we've we've spoken to many painters and all different kinds of artists over the years but i always find it really interesting when we interview photographers because it's such a different sort of medium and and i know there's a link to film history and all of that within your work but what is it about photography in particular that you love so much i don't know it's an interesting question because um there's something about documenting life and I know that I stage so much of my work and I'm looking for those small um, unplanned moments. But there is there, everything I do is shot in camera, usually with film. Um, you could come on my, on my set and everything is there. It's all tangible. You can touch it. You can feel it. The practical and the, and the physical has always been really important. So it is documenting life. And, um, and I, won't use, I won't use a picture... Um, if it doesn't have that life energy in it, like that life force um, that I felt in the first photograph by William Eggleston that moved me so much. I'm always looking for that, um, that feeling of, of, li- of, of 
representative of life. And so photography does that really well. Film does that really well. Film, when I found, when I found filmmaking as a medium, I was totally changed because um, it's just exhilarating to work with so many tools to bring these stories to life, like music and sound design and editing. Like if you change a single frame in the edit, will completely change the way you visually tell a story. And p- because people are always looking for clues to put the story together. Mm. So if you leave out a frame um, or change the music at a certain point or drop the music altogether like Hitchcock did in Birds, there's no music in that movie at all. And um, it's just amazing what those all those components can do. But it's interesting because the more film... I do, the more it makes me, as much as I love film, the more it makes me appreciate the still image and photography. Because in film, you're only allowed to really tell one story. It's no matter how many different characters you're following, it all kind of has a beginning, middle, and end to one fluid narrative story. And um, so no matter how many people I put in the frame, no matter how many details I spent so much time in pre-production making, um, people just want to know what the fuck is going to happen to her, though. Like, <laughs> well, that's the thing know? I want to ask is that these people do project the storytelling narrative onto your work. What 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 is the craziest things you've heard about these these images that you put out there of what people are thinking are happening in them? Oh God, people don't people don't really tell me what they're thinking. Oh, really? Yeah, they they always want to know from me what's happening. Of course, I I'm super annoying because I'll never tell them <laughs> what I was thinking because I know that whatever they're thinking is probably way better than what I was thinking. So I just but it is cool that photography can do that. Yeah. Like you can, you, there can there, there can just be a single frame with hundreds or infinite stories in there because yeah. it's the audience projecting the story onto them. Let the audience activate them images, don't they? Yeah. And also, it's cool that you have this thing. It's where more you like can, poetry. Yeah, exactly. And where you're coming from, and also mm-hmm. what your mood is that day, how you approach art, you can see it differently. Yeah. But you also, that. it's cool that you have this switch that you can do film, and then when you feel like you've plateaued, then you can switch to the photography mm-hmm. to make and that, that fresh again. And reinvigorates And reinvigorates that. So you, yeah. you have this yin-yang with, within your whole practice. Yeah, I need that. That's great. Yeah. I think the thing I've always liked about your work is actually that it's very true. Like, there's a truth in it. It's authentic. And even though it is out of a kind of language of film history and, like, artifice and acting and the mask, maybe, um, out of that, you know, in a really obvious way, if you think of the whole Metro Pictures generation, like pr- way before you, but like Diane Arbus, yes, or, yeah. and or like um, Cindy Sherman, of course. But like, th- there's lots of lots of artists where where there's a sense of sets or Martin you know, some... Parr, I think, is a British one. Oh yeah, yeah, British, who's, yeah, yeah, who's... yeah, yeah. Jeff Wall. Jeff yes, Wall. Jeff Wall. Yes, exactly. Yes, yes. That's who I was going to say. Yeah, exactly. Philip Lorca Yes, amazing. But I, I love the fact that at the end, the moment in all all of their work is actually truthful, and mm-hmm. it's something that we can feel and respond to as a viewer. Connect. Well, yeah, that's what I love about um, like the theater, and especially like my idea of what like the the theater was centuries ago, mm. where it's just like. A man wearing a wig, being a woman, or not, you know, not to get into like other other conversations, but just like this, this like um, totally unreal kind of stage play of this um, ref- like this moment of life being reflected in the most like 
obviously fake way, but still it moves people and still it offers relief to people seeing their lives mirrored on this flimsy little set with bad actors, whoever, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter because people will still take from that and see themselves in those in those plays. And I love, like, that's why I love puppet shows. Like, we have a really good puppet show in Los Angeles called called Bob Baker Marionettes. Really? They've been there forever. It's oh, like wow. the oldest, it's one of the oldest puppet shows in the country, and we have it in Los Angeles. And, um, but just watching these, even puppet shows, like the puppets are clearly not real. And yet you, th- th- these puppets can be so emotional. And I've even, cr- I've even gotten like teary-eyed watching these puppet oh, shows. Wow. Like Avenue Q. I mean, that was, did you yes. see that musical? Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. So it doesn't need, like, to show something real, it doesn't need to be right now in the raw. That's, that's for newscasters to do, you know? Yeah, it's kind of suspending that's, belief, isn't it? Exactly. It's almost like that childlike wonder of, like, you can imagine you know, exactly. That's the thing. It, go, it, it goes back to what I was originally saying, like what's real when all reality started with imagination to begin with. So by taking out the imagination, you're actually not being real. Mm. You need to have the mix of both. It always needs to be like this harmony of imagination mixed with reality to represent real life and, and, and may, real people. Maybe like leaving it open enough as well for the mm. audience to fill in the blanks. Yeah, so I love that. It's not just like a complete thing. That's kind of what acting is, I guess, isn't it? If I come and, you know, watch yeah. you in a play, babes. Exactly. Thanks. <laughs> so what was it like uh, partnering with uh, We Transfer, We Present on this project? Because We Present will show your film uh, alongside uh, images. Uh, and this goes out to about 3 million people a month, I think, over 190 countries. I mean, these people are going to, a lot of people may know your work, but a lot of people are going to discover your work fresh. What does that feel like and how has it been working with them? I mean, they've been great. We, I've been wanting to work with them for a while. Um, I'm always looking for for people that want to support my projects, and um, no matter how wild they may seem, or um, they were they were on board from the moment we started talking about this particular project. I think we were trying to work together on the last project, and I can't remember what happened, but um, this one it just it worked out perfectly. The timing was great, and they've they've been really lovely. That's great. That's what did you expect I was going to say? I don't know. I don't, I, well, obviously, you're going to say they're lovely. But I just thought <laughs> it's just great because I've had, like... Uh, we're, no, we're I mean, people, the artists and love the people them. Behind, yeah, artists yeah. love them and they're really so supportive of culture like and the, the arts and they the use Medici's their platform. They're like the Medici's of now, totally. right? I, I actually Tell think... us who the Medici's are for oh. people, <laughs> what that reference is. They were amazing philanthropists. Patrons. Yeah, some of the, some of the uh, most legendary art collectors... Mm. Well, I'm sure we present would be lovely to be associated with this. Our patrons, sorry. I just like the fact that we present actually support um, kind of really interesting projects as well. It's never obvious Mm -hmm. kind of association that they're trying to help fund and realise projects that might not be able to happen otherwise and take them to massive audiences. Because yeah. I think they're Marina Abramovich. That's how we met them yeah. um, was through Marina. But her her project had some crazy number of like millions and millions and millions of views or something. Yes. You know, so it's taking her to an even wider audience even though she's a superstar. They're supporting the project I'm about wow. to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Making so cool. a documentary. Yeah, it's very so cool. Oh, wow. And, and yeah, also yeah, your yeah. documentary. Yeah. It's like, we won't talk about it yet because it's top okay. secret, but it is going to be... be it well, I can tell you, yeah. I can tell you when we can cut it out, but it's an artist called David. Rebilliard, who was uh, a poet painter who died in 1988 when he was 36 of AIDS, Whoa. and his works got sort of 
silenced but it's about he's my ultimate hero and we're now creating this thing and I'm going to go back to where he's from and I'm going to try and meet his sister who doesn't want anything to do with his memory and then I'm getting people to read his famous faces to read his poetry to camera but then also Mm -hmm. do this kind of journey to try and find him so we transfer we present give me money to make it oh amazing yeah so cool yeah really cool I wish more companies would take that that same lead Mm. because they do have a responsibility to culture because like I was saying earlier like what is there what is there to look forward to if we don't have art in the future you know we like it's artists that bring a world worth living in to people and I think we present we transfer they really get that and I wish more companies and corporations would follow suit would do that yeah it's really it's really strange that there's not more, to be honest. But hopefully they'll be they're le- a leading by. example, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. And also I think so many creatives use them as a platform to upload their documents or upload their video files. So in a way we were already as a creative community we're involved with their it. business. Yeah. yeah. But um, So we ask every guest two questions who comes on Talk Art. The first is if you could do an art heist, imaginary art heist, you won't be breaking any laws and we will help you. We can bring vans, cranes, or it could be something you just put in your pocket, um, like a small artwork. But what artwork would you take home? Um. Bruegel, the El- the Elders Carnival, and Lent wow. Carnival versus Lent. You know this one? No, I, d- I don't no. know. I, mean, I, I might know it if I see us. it, but yeah. Oh, okay. So, jeez, um, oh, he was around <laughs> like fifteen, uh, medieval, I think. Yeah. And um, he had a son that did a lot of copies of his work. Was also a brilliant painter. But Bruegel, the Elger, Elder, um, if I can even say his name right, <laughs> was. Um, the a painter of the common commoners mm-hmm. and tradespeople and um, the working class. Mm-hmm. That's what he. That's who he represented, which was unusual back then. And he showed them in all of their scuzzy little detail and all the things that I love to show about people, like their um, accentuated features and their their garb, which you would imagine to be like browns and blacks and grays. And it's actually very colorful, like reds. And, and that might have been his like heightened reality of the time then, because he definitely had a heightened way of showing um, the the common working class then, but he also had a great sense of humor. So you see that in the work. Every everyone just looks like so um, so fun and so crazy and and wild and and um, and also he lo- he loves to tell stories. Like there's there's an allegorical, if that's a word, al- allegories in his in all of his paintings and and carnival. I think it's called carnival and Lent or the fight between carnival and Lent. Mm-hmm. Um, is one of my favorites and always has been. Have and it's a crowd it? scene. You've seen it in the flesh? Yes. Where, where was it? I don't totally remember. I feel like it was Switzerland, but I, I have the worst so memory for that sort of thing. You knives. You might have popped. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was more recent, actually. I think oh, okay. it was like 10 years ago. Oh, okay, okay, okay. But also there's another one, um, the, uh, what is it? The Tower of yeah. Babel. Oh, yeah. So he did one of the Tower of Babel, which I think is very um, suited to the mountain. Mm. Because, um, you know, the story is, um, what is it? Like people wanted to build this to, to reach heaven. So they built a very large tower where they could see the whole world from. And they wanted to try and get to heaven. And then um, God, this is going to be a crazy version of the story. But, <laughs> but God 
didn't like their vanity in doing that or whatever. He was, he was not happy about this tower. So he um, cursed them to where they couldn't, could no longer communicate to each other. And their communication was severed because that's where um, different languages was born. That's the origin of different languages, supposedly. Because before that, everyone spoke the same language. I should have started the story with that. Before that, everyone spoke the same language. And after they built the tower and were cursed by God, they They no longer understood each other. Wow. So I felt like that was very fitting with the mountain because that's been the, the strife in the world. <laughs> I want to go and see that right now. Uh, it's next, so good. And that's in the same museum. You saw that at the same oh, sort no, of time. Oh, no, no. I never saw that one in person. I've seen it online. Bruegel, so. The Bruegel I know is Icarus Bruegel, descending, yeah. where you see kind of the, the water, and Icarus has gone in the water, but you don't see him. He's under the water. Is that uh, Bruegel? I don't know about that one. Maybe it is. I'm no, right. like, historian on Bruegel. I just I just know what I like. Yes. You can look it up, Rob. It. Icarus. Look it up. So the other question we ask is, what is your favorite color and why? Well, I really like green, and I'll tell you why. Because I love every color, but green has always been a favorite. I've always been drawn to it. I love emeralds. Um, I love the Wizard of Oz, the Emerald City. But green has a very interesting history in that um, the French consider it unlucky. And when I was working on the Paris Opera Ballet film, um, I found out why. And it's because in order to make the pigments, they had to use arsenic, and so people with, with, that would wear the color green or come into ha- contact with the dyes would um, eventually get sick, and a lot of them would die. And so it, was, so it was then considered unlucky. Before they knew why people were getting wow. sick, when they would be around the color green, it was um, considered unlucky. And now, of course, we know how to make it differently. But I love the color green and all of its That's like, an amazing eerie and noir. This is incredible. <laughs> um, what is the best advice you have ever received with, with regards to your work? Trust your gut. It's, it's boring. That's always, that's always the answer, though. Trust your instincts. Trust yeah. your instincts, yeah. Trust your impulses. Don't listen to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> Stay focused. Um, Landscape with the Fall of Icarus is That's a it, painting. The Fall of Icarus is a painting by um, Peter. But it's Peter Bruegel, Bruegel the sorry, son the of Elder. Bruegel the Elder. Oh, the son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the son. <laughs> no, no, oh, no, the... this is no, that's the him. Elder. Oh. So I was right. I haven't seen this one. No, it yeah, isn't. so Icarus, you don't really see it, and everyone's sort of ignoring it, but Icarus yeah. has just fallen from heaven into that water. Oh, no. so it's a very conceptual painting, actually. Yeah. That's amazing. I love that. Yeah. He's so great. He's my favorite. Awesome. Cool. Well, this has been so great. Yeah. It's so nice to see you again because we, we've met many times over the years. Yeah, in different and you look countries. exactly the same. Do you I? haven't aged at all. It's Aww. crazy. Have I aged? I mean, you look wonderful too. <laughs> we've never met. Love the ears. <laughs> Love the ears. Thank you. <laughs> um, thank you so much and congratulations on your new show. I think thank it's extraordinary. It's really, really powerful work. So for everyone Thanks, listening, guys. please follow us on at Talk Art Instagram and you can see images of all the artworks we've spoken about today. You can also come to Layman Maupin here in, in London and see the exhibition, which is on for a while longer, isn't it? Yeah, March 5th. March 5th. You've got time to get out there and see it. Lots it's very time. exciting. And it's free to get into as well. So do make the effort to come to South Ken. You can also go to like the VNA, yeah, the National History Museum. The VNA when you're here and maybe get some nice food from the Hummingbird Bakery because that's where the red velvet cake is from oh, that okay. I that you used love. to be obsessed with. Yes, mm. um, it's the best like red velvet cake ever. Um, yeah, and also go to We Present and you'll be able to see the whole online um, uh, we transfer kind of we pre- present. presentation of your work. And what is your Instagram? 
Oh, it's just my name, Alex Prager. Cool. So you can also follow Alex there. And hopefully we'll see you very soon. Cool. And we'll be back very soon. Thank you for listening. Thanks, Alex. Thank Bye. you. Bye. 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 You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Toby. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode. With music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening.